My guest today is helping to increase intimacy and decrease shame. She is the owner of a sex and relationship group practice with the mission to promote healthy sexuality and great intimate relationships. She believes you deserve to have a great sex life and relationships that fire on all cylinders. Please welcome back again, certified sex therapist, Emma Schmidt. Hi, Emma. (laughs) Thanks for having me back on. So excited. Thank you so much for coming back on. Thank you for joining me during your stay-at-home mom day. I so appreciate (laughs) your time, but really the people just demanded you come back. I had so much positive feedback. Oh, good. I knew we needed a part two, so so thank you. And if anyone's listening, go back, listen to the first part to hear Emma's story and you know why she got into this work. We cover a lot of great topics in that episode. Make sure you check it out if you haven't. Um, you won't need to listen in order or anything. I've, I, I have a lot more additional things to go over with her this <laughs> time. <laughs> I know the, the last time we recorded back in June, we were still kind of in what felt like full-on quarantine mode like we were doing still like virtual stuff um i know we wish we could have been to get we're doing virtual today because you had a sickness that was not covid those still exist um <laughs> but i feel like we all have kind of like got the virtual down now yeah. and i was as you know we just we, we make it work but i was interested to hear kind of right off the bat if when you had to move to virtual like relationship therapy and mm-hmm. sex therapy, like what the difference was and just that exchange of energy and especially like working with couples, like was there a transition time for you? You know, um, being an introvert, I was like, I'm all about this. <laughs> <laughs> I can get behind this situation. But you know what? There is, uh, as many people have recognized, there's that body language that you miss. So I don't see the, the lower half of the body for most people to know are you fidgeting? Is there anxiety going on? What's happening? You know, is there, are your kids on the other side of the screen, which has happened before? And like, that's inappropriate. So there is um, a challenge. There was definitely a challenge in trying to, we had to, um, you know, disclose a little bit more. You can't be drinking during our session. You know, like you're in, (laughs) you're like, I know this is a pandemic, but for your, for your therapy, we prefer you to come sober. (laughs) Right, right, right. Um, You know, like I can laugh about that, but like there are serious pieces there and, you know, people are in the comfort of their home. And so they're, they're used to maybe like having a drink, you know, at, in the evening or whatever. So there were little things that we didn't even recognize that we needed to inform clients of, uh, in terms of relationship therapy. But so, yeah, there's definitely a difference, but I also love it because I get to see my clients' environments and I get to, you know, it, what I noticed is, um, for me, it was incredibly vulnerable to invite people into my home, oh, yeah. um, to see, you know, cause I wasn't in my office. And so I'm having that same situation with clients. Like they're inviting me into their home when you do a session. And I learn a lot about that from a client. Uh, so there's definitely different aspects to yeah. ritual and then being in the office. And I don't know, it's, it's, yeah, it has its pluses and challenges. Right, right. Are you, um, have you seen an increase in relationship, like the the ask for relationship therapy after we've now spent almost a year just sequestered together? (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, we we do our numbers every month and this last year we increased 110%. I know. (laughs) Yeah. So, wow. uh, you know, it could be a number of different things of why that happened. Uh, but I definitely think that, you know, being at home actually is beneficial for people and also recognizing that 
oh shit, like we're home together all the time and now we have challenges or like, oh, now we have all this free time. We want to work on our relationship. So there's, there's definitely an increase. Um, yeah, that we notice, and I'm sure, you know, the rest of America noticed. Yeah, yeah. And I think we can we can dive into some of those specifics as we go. But speaking of quarantine, I know that you're kind of out of a recent hibernation. And I'd love to just hear about that. You know, what prompted that? How was the experience? Were you like, surviving during COVID, thriving during COVID? You know, what was that? What was that experience like for you since we last chatted? Yeah. So yeah, I, it was very hard to do. Um, and therapists are notorious for not doing what they assign their clients to do. Uh, so the challenge was that I have a three-year-old and a five-year-old and my five-year-old had just started kindergarten and everything was at home. So I was not only now a school teacher trying, I don't know how to teach math. I was like, no, I don't know math. Plus five. And the teacher's like, get some marshmallows out. So like in between trying to understand that and like, this is her, she doesn't know organization and trying to get on zoom. She's never used a computer before. So that, and then seeing clients and running a group practice. And I have another business where, you know, I run out, you know, there was so many different moving parts to everything. Um, like everybody else, right. You kind of get into a place of surviving and like, how do I, how do I not go insane? Um, but my biggest piece was I started recognizing that I had such a fear of if I wasn't grinding and, and being on that rate rat, rat race, uh, that I felt like my business was going to fail or people wouldn't know who we are, or I would slowly, you know, drift away. And that fear was really driving me to keep pushing past maybe the limits that were healthy for me. Yeah. And so taking a step back and recognizing that even in that midst of taking a step back, we grew and I wasn't doing much, right? And like, definitely there was a return on investment from other things that we had done. Um, but taking that time and just allowing myself to breathe and slow down and not, I mean, I was doing, I was, um, you know, doing so many speaking engagements. And the problem is, is that I love, love, love the work that I do and wanting to educate. And at the same time, it was taking a toll on my health. And I was sick all the time. And I was having a lot of anxiety and panic and you know, all the things. And so, um, recognizing that taking that step back and taking a big breath was very nice. Um, but it was hard to slow down because I, I just really enjoy what I do. Good, good for you. That is so difficult. I think for people to recognize, I think what you're talking about, right. Is this toxic productivity? Exactly. Yeah. This idea that our, somehow our worth and our identity is tied to how productive can we be. Mm-hmm. And I feel that so hard. And also it's, it's just so interesting of now the awareness to these feelings that I didn't have a word, I didn't have a word for that feeling, mm-hmm. but that's something I've experienced for, for a decade, right? Like the, just this idea that I, I need to be doing, I need to be uh, accomplishing something. If I have a spare five minutes, what can I look at my to-do list really quick? And like, what can I get done? Right. And, and then also just kind of like ranking and rating the experience of my day based on what did I, what did I check off my to-do list? Mm-hmm. Like, that's how I'm measuring if it was a good day or not. You know, like that's just, I think it's just so interesting now that we do have this language. People are talking about this, so putting a word to the feeling that we have that can, you know, help us understand that the, it's not. We can move beyond it. 
And yeah. it means taking a break and like, rec- well, first probably recognizing, right, that it's even happening. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think, you know, we're, like many of us know, we're, um, there's a, a positive reinforcement when we're doing that, right? People know us, people get to, you know, we get more ratings, we get, you know, whatever it is. And so it reinforces like, oh, I, I should go harder, faster. Um, and that I'm not good enough if I'm not getting you know, those likes or the people who are calling or, you know, the people who are subscribing. Uh, and I had this client once who was from Finland, I think. And so that I lived in Boston for a while and he was like, I don't understand Americans and like how stressed, like, why do these people not take vacations when they take like, you know, my husband's from Germany and they take months off of, for vacation and the same with this guy. And he's like, I just don't understand why people care that much about like, what are they, what are they really trying to chase here? And I think that's the biggest piece, right? Like what void are we really trying to fill at the end of the day? Like what, what is that piece, that core piece there that is actually trying to be met and how do we slow down and listen to that, that voice inside of us versus trying to, you know, fill it in a different way, but that's American culture. I know. I know. That's, uh, I applaud you for that. That's great. I I really think that we need to do, I don't know how it works, how we do a better job of like force feeding this idea or like injecting like, Hey, you, you have a, you need to take a break yeah, and not a break. That's like a Sunday, right? Like one day (laughs) (laughs) or like an afternoon. Um, but I mean, I had that small experience I took two two weeks off at the end of the year, like mm-hmm. Christmas and New Year's, and I had never done that and stayed put at home. Mm-hmm. And so the first week, right, it's like Christmas, and that that's you got a lot of stuff going on and family traveling in. But then the second week, from Christmas to to New Year's, and then you know beyond whatever that was, I I got you know deleted Instagram off my phone. I pretty I didn't check email. I didn't do it. I I had just so much time. What it felt like in my brain was space. Yeah. I just had space and it was so great. And obviously, you know, I can't always live in that, that world of not having work, but it was just like, I needed that reminder to be like, okay, this can exist. I can get to this place. And when I kind of like cut out, cut out the bullshit of, of, social media, but, but really with the, the feeling that social media is giving me, right. It, it's right, the, right, right. you need to be doing, you need to be, do, what else can you do? You're, this person's posting this thing, what, you know, whatever it is, like just that reminder of like to do more. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, there's this idea, so I'm a Christian and there's this idea in like the faith where they say like, what would it be like if you rested to work instead of worked so much that then you get burnout and then you decide to take a vacation because you're so tired but what would it be like to flip the script and say like rest and then once you're ready like start working again and then you know like take that space i'm like i love that yeah like why don't we do that and yeah. it's because you know the people who don't work as hard don't get rewarded as much but like at the end of the day what you know my my motto is one day we're all going to die anyway so like what are we doing like what 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 am i doing in front so of me true. right now um, and I think that gives great perspective of who are we living for right now? You know, like, are we living for those users, for those other people? But what about the people we care about right in front? Of, what about us? What about our family? You know, um, but it's, yeah. I mean, I'm back in it already. <laughs> I'm in it already again. I know. I know. I know. You you get this like peace of mind and, and 
some maybe delusion to be like, okay, I can keep it going. Let me just dip it. But there's no like dipping a toe in. So right. you're like, you're not. Maybe it's our personalities too. Who knows? <laughs> well, it reminds me of like, you know, when you go somewhere like tropical or like you get that away and you're like, oh, I'm, this is how I'm going to live. You know, that eat, pray, love sort of feeling. <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to shift my life over. And then you come back and the next day you're, you know, it's a distant memory. Yeah. I know. I know. I, we got to, I got to try to f- cultivate ways to like, hold on to that. Yeah. And I think that really the first step is is truly just recognizing when you get into that pattern of like, I got to go, go, go. I got to do, do, do. Then what's, what's coming up? What's really there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So speaking of kind of stress causing stress, I think the best first topic to kick us off. So, so excited to be chatting about all these things, sex related is how stress can impact our sex life. Yes. So how does it impact and how do we manage it? So stress is, I'm going to, stress impacts everything and ruins everything. (laughs) So why shouldn't it ruin sex? (laughs) Right, exactly. So here's what happens. So I'm going to get very uh, clinical for a second. I'm going to talk about the brain and the way the brain works. So the way that the brain works is that um, you, we're starting to learn that you can't multitask, right? You can't be, literally your brain actually can't be doing two things at once. And so what happens in the brain is when we're stressed out, it actually activates our um, fight or flight mode. So in the brain, we have this area, um, I wish I could show you all, but so if your fist is closed and you have your thumb inside your other fingers, if you lift up all of your fingers and your thumb is across your hand, if this is your brain, that thumb area would be what we call your limbic system. And that's where your emotion is held. There's this other little guy in there that's like an almond shape, which is your amygdala. And the amygdala is fight or flight, anxiety, stress, all the things. The thing is, is that it's, it's connected to your brain stem. And so when we're activated in that stress situation, it goes down our brain stem into our body and we become like hypervigilant or, um, hyper, uh, tense, hyperactive. And so you might notice when you're, when you're stressed, you're tensing different parts of your body and sex therapy. Uh, what I like to educate my clients on is typically, um, you might not know it, but you're tensing your pelvic floor too. And so we'll see, you know, uh, if you're constantly tensing your pelvic floor, you might create knots kind of like in your back, you might create knots in your pelvic floors, which creates pain or, um, discomfort in that vulva area. Um, or if you're a male in the like genital penis area, uh, but the pelvic floor. And so there could be erectile dysfunction, uh, sexual pain, but what happens is it starts to shut down the system. It starts to shut down the body. So where you might have desire, sexual desire, and your body is feeling more relaxed and able to experience arousal. So desire, well, this is changing, but desire is the want to have sex. And arousal is your body experiencing the sensations of sex. So a lot of research is now saying that women need arousal first before the desire. So they need to be touched and and explored and get their body going before they actually want to have sex or some kind of sexual stimulation. Um, So what happens is stress shuts all of that down and doesn't allow for our body to be able to experience that arousal state or even the want to have sex. So that um, amygdala piece is channeling down our spine and and creating this um, 
hypervigilance. There's a word for it. And I cannot think about what it's called. It's, it's like, it's not fight or flight, but kind of like that. Yeah. Um, A hyper aroused state, basically. Some people would even say like their body feels like it's tingling when they're stressed out, like almost like it hurts to be touched. Oh yeah. I, I mean, I can totally relate to that. I had a, I had a super stressful day yesterday at work Mm -hmm. and I could physically feel it in my body at the end of the day. Yeah. Everything felt tighter. And like I did a, I did a, a yoga class and I kind of like felt, felt open and, and better. And then I started working again Mm. and I went to like do a stretch like a couple hours later after, after an hour or so of work and in stress. And I was, my body was already tight again. Yeah. Like that hour of yoga maybe gave me a little bit of relief. And then as soon as I got back into that stress state, I felt everything tighten up. Man. And and I can feel that difference in that stressful day versus a day where I where I don't really experience a lot of, you know, stress at work. This was really, you know, kind of a one off situation, but I felt it. So I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. So I love that because you're mindful of what your body is going through. You can, you can experience the difference, like the shift from um, doing something yoga where you're really present and slowing yourself down. And that's a big piece of it where, you know, you go into work and you become hyper aroused again, your, your system becomes hyper aroused again, where when you do something like yoga and you're really slowing everything down, you're giving space for your body to like breathe and like I almost think about it as if I'll do this mindfulness exercise with, with my clients where it's like, there's a pitcher of water over top of your head and you're like slowly pouring it into maybe like a hole, like this imaginary hole in your head. And it's just washing away all of the tension and just like letting it flow out. Right. Like that is that slowing down and allowing your body to flush out the tension, but also start to regain that positive arousal state, that positive desire. But when stress is there, our bodies, sometimes we don't even recognize it, are in a state of hyperarousal, a negative hyperarousal state, um, to the point that it's just, it can't get there desire-wise. Some people use sex as a stress reliever, but a lot of times um, uh, it's it's for, for uh, people with vulvas, um, they, I don't know, it's it's just different. Yeah. Well, I've always heard, and I think I read something somewhere about how if women feel like they are getting the necessary help around the house, that they are more in the mood to have sex. And it makes sense in this way of like, if there's, if you've got so much to think about, you know, like there's so many things are going through your mind, again, especially for women, how do you then just like, yeah, go to that next place where you're like, okay, yeah, I'm in the mood. You know, I'm thinking about, I'm going through my to-do list. I'm thinking of everything I have to do. I'm not thinking about having sex. So it's like a running joke in our house now that cleaning kitchen is, cleaning the kitchen is my favorite kind of foreplay. <laughs> yes, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's like a funny joke, but it's like serious too. You don't want to be- so serious. Like, we're statistics now, right? <laughs> it's fine, whatever. Um, but yeah, you know, there's this book called, and I don't know if I was talking about it in the last uh, episode, <clears throat> by Emily Nagowski called Burnout. And so Emily Nagowski wrote this book, um, called come as you are. And then she wrote a follow-up book called burnout. And in this book burnout, she talks about the human giver syndrome and how a lot of women are born into our society of, you have to give, give, give and go, go, go. And your responsibility is to be the caretaker basically for everyone. And so, so this idea of, Hey, if you do the dishes and clean the house, like, I think that's because it takes 
it, it identifies that um, human giver syndrome that a lot of women fall into. And I think it's changing. Definitely. There's more of an egalitarian, I think, relationship dynamic that's happening in our society, which is really cool. But there's still this generational, what I would call trauma in women that we still need healing from and that we still are like, I think we're really shifting out of that, but, um, but our bodies feel it. Oh yeah. I think I've seen this and I forget what it's called. Maybe like the silent, silent something where it's, where it's like all of the things behind the scenes that women take on mm-hmm. that, that is just, I mean, it's hard to even vocalize what they are, but you know what it is. I know what it is like that are, that's keeping the house running. That's keeping the social calendars running. That's, you know, getting the gifts for the mother-in-law, like whatever, like all of the yeah. little things. That's just, it's just more brain power that I have to use that it's not showing up in the same way for, you know, a male counterpart, your husband or your partner, whoever that is. Yeah. I think we're, we're having more of those conversations and we're just good to recognize, but, but definitely it's, um, it's still there. It's still there. And I think definitely hold it in our body. There was, there was, I think it's a mama bear massage, um, by Cora, And she does a lot. She's doing a lot of trauma healing through massage. And um, it's really cool because, because I know, and a lot of us know that we hold a lot of unrecognized trauma and like this generational stuff that um, getting it out and working through it and becoming mindful of where do we even feel it in our body and how do we work through that thing? Um, And sometimes we don't even have language for it. Kind of like what you're saying, like I feel it, but I don't have language for it. And so even just closing your eyes and noticing like, and I'm frustrated and irritated. Where do I feel it in my body? And how do I just listen to that space? And sometimes those messages then come up from that. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I agree what you're saying. Like, yeah. There, so yeah. how do, how do we manage it? How, how do we kind of, we help manage that stress that it, it then is not impacting our sex life just in the regular ways you'd manage stress? Well, uh, yes, I think the biggest piece is having a conversation, noticing it. Right. Like noticing, are there, um, double standards here? Are there, you know, what's coming up for me? Where, what is on my plate? Um, is there a way that we can talk about this? For instance, like my husband does nighttime with my girls and I do the morning time. And my husband said, Hey, can you do nighttime? Um, and then can you help me in the morning? And I was like, so, so he was going to take over my morning routine, but he wanted me to also get up and help him. And I was like, I called it out right there. I'm like, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm still having to get up in the morning though. And you don't in the morning and I do it all by myself. So why do you need help from me? And it's stuff like that. It's just like calling it out and mm-hmm. noticing like, okay, you don't have to take it all on. Like, let's start having the conversation and, and, and recognize it and call it out. But also uh, it does translate into the bedroom for sure. One of the things that I think is good is a lot of my clients notice that if they're able to have that conversation before they go have sex and they're able to, you know, get through it, that's so vulnerable and they're opening themselves up versus feeling resentful or like, well, I need to do this and I have to take this on because that's my wifely duty or my, you know, I'm a partner and that's what I do and I want my partner to love me or, you know, whatever those messages might be. Um, but one of the things of why we don't feel desire is because we are in our head is because, um, we're not in our body. And so whatever we need to do to recognize, like, what is that running thing in my head and what do I need to get out? 
or, um, you know, put away in my imaginary box to be able to have sex? What do I need to talk through with my partner so that I can be in my body and engage in my sensations? What do I see, feel, taste, touch, experience? Um, Because most likely when we're stressed, we're just in our heads and we're very dissociated from our body. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I I will add to, to the kind of beyond stress, which I can imagine a lot of people may be feeling right now. And something that I feel that I'm experiencing is, is not so much that stress is getting in a way that it's now just the monotony. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm a type of person that like, I, I love a little like distance makes the heart grow fonder type of thing. Yeah. Honestly, if, 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 if I'm being completely honest, I'm totally in supportive, of, totally supportive of like, do we want to live in different houses and come together once in a while? I mean, I, I love, I love my husband. I love to be around him. We have a great partnership. There, I, I, no, never the case, never the case of like, I don't want to be around you, but I feel like it would add a little. I would just like to be on my own, and yeah. then we come together. You know, I feel like I'm saying it out loud, and it sounds bad, but I don't mean it in a, I don't mean it in a negative way. But now that like, the ma- vast majority of our days, right, we are waking up. We're doing some kind of maybe some movement. He's going to his office. I'm going to my office. We are working all day. We're done working. You know, I, I do extra stuff. He coaches. We're it's seven o'clock. I'm like, this is it all the time. What do we do? Like, you know, like it's just, and we just get to a point where it's like, I don't have anything else to say to you. <laughs> like, I just don't. You know exactly what's going on in my life all the time. <laughs> like. There's no kind of like I get to go experience this thing and then come back and tell you about it or like we're not going to experience new things together right now. Mm-hmm. So what do you, you know, any ideas? And I, of course, have my own ideas. You know, you, I could, we could schedule a date night and we could, we used to do this thing where we would go on walks and we would start talking. Um, I could do like a start to finish of our day, but in like extreme detail. Mm-hmm. Like how we felt throughout, like how this email made us feel, whatever, you know, just really get into it. Even if it's nothing that happened, everything, every day has something that happens, right? And that was helpful for just connecting and like finding where we are emotionally. So I know I could bring these types of things back, but I think it's just my, I guess I got to bring those things back. But anyway, do you have anything anything to add or comment on that? Have you seen that happen? As Yeah. You know, I think sometimes it's... um calling it out and saying like, this is where we're at. And this is that's what I did the other night. (laughs) COVID is COVID and like the pandemic and, you know, just saying um, there's an element of this too shall pass, right? Like how do we just get through this together? Uh, But I think that uh, some of my clients have tried to be creative. Like, I love that. That's so creative. Intimacy is about knowing and being known. And I think that there are different levels of intimacy. And I think you just hit right on it. Like, how do we, create different types of intimacy together, like starting and finishing our walk with like extreme detail. That's intimate. That's this intimate walk that you all did, which is beautiful. And so some of my other clients have done things like they've done a book club together where they're, you know, they're at least like trying to stimulate their mind in different ways or, you know, like everybody's doing puzzles these days, but at the end of the day, these things get still monotonous, you know, like how many books can you still read together? We played so many games of cards together. that Yeah. And we're done. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, you know, 
trying to find ways to be intimate, but in different ways, like, could we do a cooking class online together? Or could we, you know, uh, is there, you know, Bridgerton that we my husband tried to start Bridgerton. He's like, absolutely not. This is awful. <laughs> I can't even get through it. So I cannot have him get through it. I have to do like, I, I watch the first episode of a show and I make the judgment call. Like, will you want to be in on this or not? So like Bridgerton, I knew, no, he's not going to want it. I just started the Winx saga. Oh yeah. Don't think he's going to be in on that, but I'm going to, I'm going to feel it out a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, did, but you know what? I love what you said, and I think this is the biggest takeaway about kind of just because I will have a tendency, right? To, to I don't want to say nitpicked, but to be like, so we're good, everything's good. Do we need to talk about anything? How are you feeling? How are we connecting? And and he's like, everything's fine, you know. <laughs> like, and so I'm almost creating this, this yeah, you're this, yeah, this problem <laughs> in my mind that's not there. So yeah. literally last night I was like, I love you. You know I love you, and if you just want to go into your office all night, and I just want to go do this thing all night, I we're still connected, and, and you love me, and I love you, right? And he's like, "Yep, <laughs> we're good." Like, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> but that's my own thing, right? That's my own. I think that's actually pretty normal, right? Like when you're, I think about the days whenever uh, my husband and I were dating, and I didn't have a job, and I'm like crafting every day, I'm, and I created a lot of drama in our life because I'm like. I don't have anything else to do. You know, I didn't recognize it then. I would be like, if you told me that I I would like be very upset with you, but, um, and I'm not saying that you're creating drama. I'm just saying like when we, no, but it is almost is like, I, it's, and I think I come from like my childhood, a lot of had like a conflict and adrenaline. And I almost like, if that's not present, then I'm like, is something wrong? Yeah. If there's nothing wrong, is something wrong? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Psychopath. (laughs) No, I think, well, one, I love that you recognize that, like, this is how my family handled, like, when things get a little bit too subtle, or not subtle, um, um, too calm, I need something to create that height in me, right? And that's, we have families that are like that, and it, what it does is it gives you a dopamine hit. That's what it is. And it's like, you need something like that. So um, I know totally. will say when I start watching The Real Housewives that I create more drama in our relationship because I'm like looking for that. Like I need something. Um, but it's kind of like a drug. It's kind of like a hit that we need to like heighten ourselves or like, you know, make us be able to, you know, stimulate our brain. But I think what you're talking about too is like, I need some novelness in our relationship. And, um, there's this exercise that I'll give to clients that maybe I was saying this last time too, but it's called the jar activity. And, uh, was I saying this last time? I think so. It sounds familiar. Yeah. But say, but but say it again. Yeah. So what you can do is you take two jars and you put in, uh, you put in your jar, typically it's sexual where you say, here are all the different sexual things that I enjoy or that I like. And then your partner does the same. And then you would pull from his jar and you would, schedule something for him based on that thing. And so it's spontaneous from him, but it's scheduled on your end. And so over, you know, my time being a therapist, we've mixed it up where it's not just sexual. It can just be, you know, fun things to do that like he might like to do or that you might like to do that he doesn't know about. And so you pick it and then all of a sudden like this random thing is happening and it's really exciting. It's a way to um, like spruce stuff up and make it a little bit more exciting. You don't know when this surprise thing is going to happen. Um, but it can, yeah. you know, uh, something to change up the monotony of the day or, you know, like being able to sleep in different rooms and pretend like you're not 
you're not there, right? And give yourself a little vacation or, you know, is there, could you go camping or something? Could you, is there, I mean, it's, it's freezing outside right now. Right. Uh, so I wouldn't do that. Like, could you do a road trip down south? Yeah, no, no, no. I Creative ways people are, yeah, getting together. Yeah. And I think it also at the end of the day, this is a, a really good reminder that relationships take work. Yeah. And especially right now, like you might need to put in the extra effort to 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 create these scenarios that are not naturally occurring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is just yeah. a good reminder. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so before we get to questions from the listeners, which I have a few that are really great, um, I wanted to ask you what you would say to people that don't feel comfortable talking about sex or asking these questions, getting information that they likely know is important. And, you know, they, they know the importance of communication, but they really just don't like talking about it to anyone or, or bringing it up. Yeah. So, um, this is like 90% of people. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I know I'm on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> So, so a lot of people feel a lot of anxiety around it. They would rather not talk about it. I have a lot of clients who come in, they've been married 20, 30, 40 years and never talked to their partner about sex. And so, so I think the first thing is recognizing why is that if I were to sit down with myself, which is hard, it's going to be hard for you. If you're wanting to explore this, just know it's going to be uncomfortable. So first sitting down with yourself, maybe journaling, when I bring up the word sex, what comes up for me? Where do these messages come from? Maybe it's, I'm not supposed to talk about this. Um, I was hushed or I was told that's private. Um, you don't discuss these things or, um, you know, whatever messages might come up, you're dirty for talking about these things, whatever messages might come up, just write them down and notice like, what are these core messages about sex? And then Think about what would it be like to talk to my partner about sex and what messages and feelings start to come up for me and start to notice that. And even notice where am I feeling it in my body? So maybe it's like if I close my eyes and I notice like, oh, it feels like my gut is like, you know, it feels like someone just punched me or like my heart is starting to race. Just notice it and just listen to it. Just listen like, okay, as I'm starting to feel that, as I'm starting to feel those sensations in my body, what messages are coming up from that? And, and start to, this is where the healing begins from this. I think there's healing that actually needs to happen prior to having the conversation because otherwise you might go in with a panic. I do think that there's something about just ripping the bandaid off and talking about it, but, um, there, there's something there for you that's holding you back from being able to do that. And so understanding and recognizing that and allowing yourself to sit with it, I think is so important. So what happens is, Um, if we, so let's say it's like the elephant in the room, like being able to sit with your elephant and talk to your elephant about all the things, um, start to feel those things that you don't want to be feeling and maybe even invite your elephant to like hold hands and go, go through like the hard stuff with you. I don't know if any of this is making sense. No, it's making Uh, great sense. Okay. Um, what happens though, is that many of us create talking about sex and having sex, it creates a phobia. So meaning that if I have anxiety about talking about it, or if I have anxiety about having sex, I start to push it off and avoid it so much that now I'm doing everything I can to avoid that situation. And it's becoming now a phobia that I do at all costs to avoid it. And what happens is when we start to avoid it so much, and it starts to have that, that kind of power over us, it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and becomes more fear. We become more fearful of it than like 
it really needs to be. So if I'm able to invite it and sit with it and, um, and get uncomfortable with it, then I lessen the power over it. And I give myself more permission to, um, you know, to get to the other side. So I don't remember what the question was, but sitting, Oh, the conversation, like having, yeah, 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 just exactly that. You know, you're making total sense. You're it's right on track. I think. Yeah. Some people, a lot of people don't know what questions to ask though. They want to have this conversation. And so I would sit down and I can send this out to, you know, any of your listeners as well, but it's sitting down and asking questions like, what do you like about sex? You can even journal about this and then come together as your partner. What do you like about sex? What do you not like about sex? What's your favorite sexual experience you've had with your partner? What fantasy do you have? What do you um, hate about sex that you've never told your partner about? Uh, What do you want to try that you've never tried before? Um, Yeah. So being able to sit in those types of questions will get your mind ruminating and um, can get the conversation started too, but making space for it. So being able to tell your partner, if you do want to talk, to your partner saying, Hey, let's get together Friday night and let's have this conversation so that it doesn't feel like they're blindsided by it. Um, yeah. And then just start answering the questions together. Yeah. Yeah. Wine. No, that's great. Yes. That's great. That's great. Okay. So a few questions that we got. Yeah. What is the normal period of time to wait to have sex when you're dating someone you really like? Hmm. Well, it depends on what you value and what your, um, what your standards are, I would say. So being able to take a step back and ask yourself, what do I want? What do, um, what's my value around sex? What do I believe about sex? What do I want my relationship to look like before I have sex or when I have sex? So I don't know that there's, you know, normal is right on numbers. Right. But at the end of the day, like, what do you want and what works for you? So I think we get really caught up in these like social constructs. And we, I think we really need to like take a step back and figure out if I could answer that question for myself, what would that look like? And then how do I bring that into that relationship? Yeah. That's such a good answer. I was reading these before and I was like, okay, well, my answer would be the normal period of time. You have sex when you want to have sex. Like <laughs> if it's the first night and you want it and you, and the partner wants it and it's consensual and you're feeling it, yeah. then you do it. If you yeah. don't get there for two weeks, then you wait two weeks. Like, but that was yeah. much better said. <laughs> no, I think that you summarize it very well. So. Yeah. Right. But I, it also comes back to just yeah, being in tune to what do you want? What do you want out of this relationship? Having a sense of awareness for the person that's also involved in this partnership, mm-hmm. right? Do they want to have sex? Like, is it working? Okay, cool. But I think as women too, I would say um, sometimes we give ourselves, like, we have sex because we want to make our partner happy or whoever that partner is. Like, uh, will I receive love from this? Will I receive something for this? Or like, I feel pressure that to have sex so that maybe it'll go to the next level. You know, dating is so freaking hard these days. Yeah. So like, what do I need to do to make sure that fits? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, like, I think it's so much more important to take a step back and figure out like, what do I want and need and what do I value? Mm-hmm. That's great. What's the average number of times most married couples have sex? Now, before you even answer this, <laughs> I will say that this, I read this and I was triggered. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me about that. Because I, right, I'm like, okay, well, depending on what she said, what if 
what if I'm not the average? What if I'm not having enough? What if, you know, whatever, all of these things came up of like insecurities immediately. Yeah. Around that. Yes. Which I think probably most people will relate to and why this question was even asked. Cause like you want to know a comparison, like where am I falling? Right. So when, I'll say uh, this. Yeah. I know the answer, but I, I hardly, I think I've given the answer once because I don't want it because exactly what you're saying, right? Because it's a social construct. It's this place of, am I good enough? Are we good enough? And how do we compare? And if, so let's say I give you a number and it's more than what you tend to do, right? What does that mean to you? Like, does that mean you're going to be having sex more? Do you want to be having sex more? Does that make you feel like a failure? Does it make you, you know, like, how does that make you feel? If it's less than, what does that do for you? You know, does that mean like, oh, good, I can back off now or, you know. So ultimately, I think the question, the reason why we ask that question is because we are comparing, but we also want to know, like, am I good enough? And so if we can take a step back, I keep saying, take a step back because it's all about like, you know, stepping back. Yeah. <laughs> let's just evaluate this a little bit more. Um <clears throat> Being able to ask yourself, how much sex do I want? How much sex do we want together? Now, like we can talk about mismatched libido and how, you know, our partners might want sex more than us, than me, but how can we have that conversation around what's going to work for us and what am I needing and what am I wanting? And then that should be the framework for how often are we having sex? Right. Right. It's what you, yeah. What do you guys want? What you've decided on communication. Yes, I know. That's good good. Okay. This question I loved because I never thought about it because it does not apply to me, but I think it's so important. She asks, where can I learn stuff about sex, how to perform oral sex penetration that is not porn? Mm. So I, I heard this and I was like, I almost kind of like a light bulb went off because I understand that not everyone's experience with sex will look different, right? I think of mine, like I was pretty promiscuous as I was younger and I learned trial and error. I had a lot of different partners. I talked to friends. I watched porn. I looked magazines, movies, whatever, you know, like I had all of these things that, that kind of helped shape how I experience sex or like to experience sex or demonstrate sex for others, perform sex for others, whatever it is. But not everyone has had that. Right. And then you're like, how do you learn? How do you know? Where can you go? Because I think anything then turns into like, okay, now it's porn. If it's, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I'm interested. I really liked this question. Yeah. So there are, um, I'll say that there are these places called ethical porn where um, there are different sites where there can be instructional videos that it's not your typical porn site. And not to say that like porn is bad, you know, like people yeah. like, for a lot of different reasons, there's this saying like, don't yuck somebody else's yum. And so I love that. Yep. Um, so I would say, you know, if you were interested in seeing something from a different perspective, you could try some of these ethical porn sites where uh, there are more instructional videos and not so performance based sex uh, that could be helpful. So Googling well, uh, depending on where you're at, I mean, if anybody went on my history, they'd be like, you're <laughs> <laughs> uh, you are, I guess, like a safe space. Um, being able to look for ethical porn and then looking for instructional videos is going to be really good. There are, 
OMG Yes is really good if you're working with, you know, a female or, you know, someone with a vulva. Um, if you yourself are trying to understand, they, I mean, their stuff is so good. Um, it's backed by research from the Kinsey Institute, which is, uh, Alfred Kinsey is one of the pioneers for sex therapy and sex, um, uh, I don't know what I'm saying. We'll just say sex therapy and sex education. And so um, they take women um, or pe- people with vulvas and they show you a naked person, but it's but it's helping you understand where to touch and why. And based on the different vulvas that um, you need to stimulate different places. And so it's insertion, it's um, outside on the... Uh, the outer vulva and I can't remember what else. Anyway, so that's really good. It's very instructional. I think OMGS is a great place. And then there is sex smart films, which is um, also a subscription base where you can go on and it's instructional videos and not um, uh, the performance type of porn. Right. And there's other types of like written material, like, uh, the guide to getting it on is a really good one. Um, it's like the Bible of sex, but I will say, uh, like the Bible or the guide to getting it on still has visuals in it. So I know from, as a Christian, a lot of my clients who are also Christians don't want to see any of that stuff. And so there are different places, uh, to get information that aren't so explicit, like, um, like whatever happened to talk sex with Sue Johansson? She's still alive. Like that, that honestly was a really like entryway point to me where I'm like, okay, that Did was great. Ever, I don't know how old you are. Uh, I'm, 30, I'm 30. I'm 32. Okay, perfect. Um, so I don't know if you ever listened to Drew Pinsky. It was like talk sex with, not talk sex with Drew, but I used to listen to it like all night long. Like it would come on. Yeah, it was very drive. late night. I would be yeah. like at a sleepover or a slumber party and we'd try, and she had the wooden bodies that she would use. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Exactly. So there are, you know, there are more things coming out like um, where there are instructional videos that aren't so graphic. I'm like blinking on them right now, but the sex smart films, OMG, yes, it's still nudity. Um, but it, I think they're really good quality that aren't, that aren't bringing in that like performance piece. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm, I was, I was a good question. I thought, yeah. Okay. So we've got one that says, she says, trying to keep it hot, but they're really just trying to conceive. She Mm -hmm. says, I'm tired, but I know we got to do it. So I think like how to keep it hot when you're really just trying to conceive. And I just want to ask the question of, does it have to be hot? Right. No. No. Yeah. (laughs) It seems like maybe it's putting some pressure on. Yeah. So this is a really good question because uh, we get this a lot and there are different approaches to it. And the thing with therapy is that no one answer is going to fit everyone. Right. And so that's, what's hard about podcasts and um, doing more like community speaking. So what I would say is what are you all hoping for while you are trying to conceive? Are you hoping that it is this really great experience where it is hot? Are you hoping that, you know, I have some clients who will say during our fertility, fertility period, we, we just get the act done. And then we save the more fun, intimate, romantic sex for the other times because it feels so stress induced. 
But then other times people will say, if it becomes just getting the act done, then I lose my erection or I'm not able to perform whatever, because I know that I'm just here for a task. So I think, um, you have to know what are you looking for during that time when you are thinking about conceiving and how do you want to move forward with it? If you do want to make it hot and spicy and exciting, talk about how do you want that? Um, do you, do you want your partner to come up and just take you and pursue you and be more aggressive with you and have a quickie? Do you want more of those long, um, sensual experiences where you're doing the body exploration? Mm. So I think talking about, it doesn't have to be hot. It can be that you're getting the act done in there other times when you're more, um, intentional about the intimacy. But so I think it's deciding what are you looking for and that it's not, it's not bad if it's not hot. Right, right. Maybe just take away some of that pressure. Yeah. If the goal is you want to make a baby, however the act is looking, hopefully, you know, we're going to make the baby. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so someone asked, is it okay to have no sex drive after a hysterectomy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very normal. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that's because you're, you're well, depending on what kind of hysterectomy you have. So if you have a full or if you have a partial, but you're getting rid of those sex hormones and that's really important to understand. Also with a hysterectomy, one of the things that can happen is that because you don't have that estrogen there, you have what's called an atrophy of your vagina. So if you think about your vagina, I have a rubber band here and so it's perfect. If you think about your vagina being kind of like a rubber band, when you have estrogen, it's really it can stretch really well, but when you take that estrogen out, it's kind of like sandpaper and it's stiff. Oh yeah. So, um, it can be really painful, but also that desire can definitely go because you're not having those same types of sex hormones. So you, I don't think that it's, you can't not have it. It's just about creating more of those moments. So like I was saying earlier that needing to have arousal first and then have the desire, you're just going to need to have more experiences where you're slowing down and you're getting in tune or, you know, maybe you like it faster or whatever, you know, how did you typically like to be um, engaged sexually? What would typically help with your desire before and just having longer episodes of those. Mm-hmm. Also um, what's really cool is that there's, you know, we know about Viagra and Cialis and, um, can't think of the other one, but, uh, recently in the last couple of years, there have been two sexual desire drugs that have come out for women. One is Vilesi and one is Addy. So Addy is a pill that you take every day and it's supposed to help with your brain functioning. So, uh, to help you want to have sex because we know it starts in the brain. Vilesi is a, an injection that you take kind of like an EpiPen in your leg. And it's kind of like, um, Viagra, where you take it like 20 minutes prior to having sex, and then like your body starts to become aroused. So what's great is that there are two options there for if you're feeling like, man, I, I just like can't get in the mood and I'm interested in medication, that's an area to go in. Um, but also hormone medication is not bad. Um, and also there are these laser treatments now to the Mona Lisa and the CO2 lasers that can revitalize uh, that vaginal canal too for um the spongy tissue if it's if it's becoming more atrophied or harder. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. I think I, I know we're mindful of time too, so we'll just do one more question. This is okay. somewhat related to the hysterectomy. What kind of changes can women expect after menopause when it comes to sex? So this is really good because I think there's this myth. There are definitely these myths around once menopause happens, you know, perimenopausal menopause, postmenopause that 
um, sex is just gone and that you should, it's like, use it or you lose it. You have to give up. Yeah. yeah. But that's not actually the case. Uh, we hear from women all the time who say like, this is so nice. I don't have a period. Any, you know, I'm not menstruating. I'm not, uh, my breasts aren't tender anymore. I don't this have to worry about getting pregnant. Have, like, yes, exactly. I don't have to worry about getting pregnant. Now I have all the desire in the world. Right. Um, so I don't want to discount that. Like, I think that there's definitely, you're losing your hormones, right? And so there's an element of that, but also there can be a lot of really cool things that come from that. So definitely your body's going to change. Um, the vaginal area is going to change sometimes because we don't have that estrogen, your vulva might um, become more loose too. So, uh, it doesn't have that, um, uh, that give where it like stays intact. It can become a little bit more saggy, um, the sensations can go a little bit more, but none of these things have to happen either. It's not like they're going to happen. It's like with anything, like everybody's body is different. The atrophy could happen. Um, nipple coloration changes, uh, the way that you engage sensations in your body might change. And of course, like desire could change, but I see many women who where that doesn't happen. We just have to create different, we have to change our mind about how sex is going to look. And just like any of you all have probably noticed after the first two years of being married, sex just changes and you have to be intentional and have the conversation and schedule. And that's exactly what happens after menopause or like, you know, when you're going through it, you just have to have a different conversation and approach it differently um, because it's not going to be the same, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have to be good still. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so many, so many good things. I could go on and on and on. I so appreciate it. This has been so great. I have to ask because, you know, maybe it's changed. It's always changed for me or it's always changing for me. But what does being fit mean to you now after, you know, give us seven, nine, well, it's been a lot. It's been, it's been more than half a year since you said it. So maybe it's changed. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the thing that comes to mind, I'm starting to do these rebound exercises. So becoming fit is like getting my pelvic floor working. So I'm not being, I did a toe touch the other day on this trampoline. Like the floods just started coming out of my urethra. Oh, I can imagine. I think in this moment, it's like getting my pelvic floor. I love that. Being fit is a fit pelvic floor. Truly. I love it so much. Well, Emma, thank you again. Thank you again. Where can people follow you? You're always posting such great content. I love following along. Where can they find all the stuff? Yeah, you can um, follow us. We're putting up all of our media stuff on our website, emma-schmidt.com, along with our blogs. Um, Our Instagram is Emma Schmidt Sex Therapy. And then our Facebook is Emma Schmidt and Associate Sex and Relationship Therapy. So wherever you want to go, we just try and provide as much resources we can for our community. Yeah. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a good one.